Welcome back to our first podcast of the summer. This is Carrie Dahlman, your CEA president. And Amy Baca-Ollert, CEA vice president. Today we're super excited to be joined by Carrie Kennedy, candidate for governor and endorsed by the Colorado Education Association and the Colorado American Federation of Teachers. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be here. My namesake. (laughs) We may spell it a different way, but I like to think I know a thing or two about Carrie's, and you are right on all of our education issues, so we're so pleased to be supporting you um, throughout this uh, campaign. Well, thank you, and I appreciate it very much. You know, we... um of course have gotten to know you uh, over the years with your support for public education and students here in Colorado, but how about we let our listeners get to know um, another side of you. Tell us about who you are as, as a person, as a mom, as a, as a citizen, a wife, um, you know, here in Colorado. Well, Amy, I'm so happy to support teachers across our state. I graduated from Manuel High School here in Denver. My husband and I both did, and our kids graduated from George Washington High School. Uh, So we've got a long history with public education. I grew up here in Colorado. My family moved to Evergreen when I was a little girl and then down to Denver. And I actually, I grew up in a big family. I have three brothers and sisters who joined my family through the foster care program. And I also have a sister who joined my family through her church. So I grew up with brothers and sisters that hadn't been given many opportunities in their lives, and I saw how important the opportunities are that kids get through their public schools. And for the vast majority of kids in our state, those are the only opportunities that they get. My husband of now uh, 23 years is uh, a wonderful man, and he immigrated here from India as a child and started attending public school right here in Denver. Um, He's now a physician and had the benefit of a great public education system here in Colorado. It's really the issue that has motivated me throughout my career is ensuring that all the kids growing up in our state get those great opportunities through their public schools. And sadly today, uh, after 25 years of living with the Tabor Amendment, they're not. So um, thank you very much. Let me ask you, Amendment 23 was a long time ago. Um, Not everybody listening probably remembers how it came to be. Can you talk a little bit about how the concept of Amendment 23 came about? Yeah, so after the Tabor Amendment passed, uh, we had to make deep cuts in the budget. And because public education's the largest uh, component of the state's budget, we saw those cuts happening in the classroom year after year after year. And Colorado's economy was growing at the time. And people were really frustrated that our economy was doing so well, and yet we're making these deep cuts in education. I was working for Governor Romer at the time in his budget office, and I was modeling the forecasts of what was going to happen to public education funding. And much like Prop 13 in California, we were just going to see deeper and deeper and deeper cuts in education. And it wasn't because anyone in the Capitol was voting for it. 
It wasn't because any local school boards were voting for it. It was because of formulas that were locked into our Constitution. So I helped develop Amendment 23. We put it on the ballot in 2000, and it counteracted Tabor. It said, you're not going to make these cuts solely on the backs of schools. We're going to make sure education funding at least keeps up with the rate of inflation, and the voters approved it in 2000. Unfortunately, um, we've not held true to Amendment 23, despite the voters saying they support minimum levels of funding for education. There's been an end run, and we're now nearly a billion dollars below that floor set by Amendment 23 and funding our schools, and you see it every day in our classrooms. For, for this year alone, almost a billion. It's almost a billion every single year, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of work to do to restore the funding that Tabor has stripped from our schools. Um, half the school districts in the state of Colorado are now running on a four-day school week. Um, I don't need to tell you that we don't pay teachers a professional salary in this state, and we're losing a lot of great teachers who are leaving the profession, they are leaving the state, and just like any other organization, um, the single most important thing is that you're attracting talent and supporting your um, talented workforce. Um, That's the most important component to success. Education is no different. We need to be supporting our teachers and giving them the pay and resources to elevate that profession and to bring to support excellence in the work that they do every day. You know, one of the things that um, is the most heartbreaking at this time of the year is to hear from, you know, really talented educators who all they wanted to do was teach and hear that they're leaving the classroom this year and being forced to do so because they can't afford to live in the, in the community um, where they teach or they can't afford to pay back their student loans and raise a family based on the, on the salaries um, that districts can afford. And I think you're absolutely right. There was an end run around Amendment 23. And, and while it's almost a billion dollars you know, annually that schools are being shortchanged, when you look at the impact over the last 10 years, it's, you know, up over hovering around $8 billion, 8 to, to $9 billion. And when you think about that cumulative impact on our classrooms and the fact that Colorado has a teacher shortage, we're having a difficult time retaining great teachers in the profession, you know, unless we have leaders who are willing to really step up and make that case to the voting public, I really worry about the future of our schools and and the opportunities that our kids won't have in the future. The voters of this state said they want education to be a priority. That $8 billion cut is against levels of funding for education that the voters of this state approved. We need to uphold the will of the voters. We need to restore that funding to our classrooms. And more importantly, we need to work together to build an education system that we can all be proud of. Somebody who loves to teach, somebody who is great with kids and who knows their their craft and knows their subject area should never feel like they have to leave the classroom because they can't afford to support their own families. I had a teacher um, talk to me in Durango not long ago, and she she started crying because she could get a job that pays almost twice as much if she went across the border to New Mexico and took a teaching job there. But she's so committed to the kids and the families in her school, in her classroom in Durango, 
that she doesn't want to leave them. And yet she's sacrificing the opportunities for her own family and struggling to pay her own family's bills. That should never happen here. We need to pay our teachers a professional wage. I want Colorado to be the most attractive place in the country to teach. I want the best and the brightest who are graduating from education programs all across this country to say, I want to teach in Colorado. That's the system we need to build. Yeah, and I know, um, you know, we know, and I know you know as well, because I've heard you talk a lot about it um, as you've campaigned all across Colorado, that it's really an educator shortage. And um, while we certainly want to make sure we're attracting and retaining uh, quality teachers, we also have, you know, it takes a lot of people to make schools work, bus drivers, food service workers, um, paraprofessionals, all the support staff that really, you know, ensure that students have a quality public education system here in in Colorado. I met with a bus driver um, in that same area over in Cortez who was leaving the the profession, who had been a longtime bus driver, you know, one of the greatest jobs, getting kids to and from school every day to go work in the local Walmart because he was going to make more money working at Walmart. And so, um, you know, certainly it's about holding up all of our, um, you know, workers in the workforce. And I know you've done a lot with... um, ensuring that workers have rights and have um, fair wages. And so tell us a little bit about your beliefs around, around that and the work you've done. It is, and all of the people uh, working in a school are supporting the kids every day. There are amazing stories about kids who are struggling at home. There may be facing some real challenges. And it is the bus driver who knows what's going on in that kid's life and who asks every morning and every afternoon, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need some help? Are you worried? I can take you someplace else. Um, And who picks up the phone and who calls the counselor and says, you know what, this child really needs some help in the afternoon. I, um, as state treasurer, uh, created the program that is rebuilding aging schools throughout the state. You get out into poor communities and these buildings are dilapidated. They've got boilers are broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they flood. I've toured schools where sewage backs into the building. And so, as state treasurer, I worked with Republicans and Democrats to craft the legislation that to date has put a billion dollars out, renovating now over 400 schools around the state. And I will never forget visiting the school in Kim, Colorado. Maybe it was Pritchett next door. Um, and it was the, the dishwasher. The woman who has been uh, taking care of, of all of the kitchen um, cleaning um, for, for decades in that school. And she works um, three shifts. They have so many kids in such a small kitchen that they bring the kids in three different shifts through lunch, as a lot of schools do. And she hadn't had a dishwasher in over seven years because it had broken. She had been doing all of that by hand. And when I said we were going to renovate the school and build a modern facility to support the population the size of the, the, the school had grown to, mm-hmm. um, she just started crying uh, as well. I believe she was it. so happy. So we have to make the commitment to support people who are working with our kids all across this state, regardless of where kids are growing up, whether they're in rural Colorado, they're in a suburban neighborhood, they're in an inner city school. We need to expand the opportunities that they have and we need to support the professionals who are working with them every day. 
Yeah, BEST program, the Building Excellent Schools Today program that you were just speaking to, has really been a game changer in a lot of communities across Colorado. I know that um, Cortez um, rebuilt their high school, and um, having visited it, it is like the most amazing thing. It's amazing. They actually have an ambulance inside one of the classrooms, as well as um, a wildland firefighting program. And so kids are getting firsthand knowledge that's going to get them closer to being licensed and certified in firefighting and in paramedic training. And it's just I wish I went to high school there. It's so exciting. Experiences they would have never had otherwise, you know. And so what, as a person, as a mom, what drove you to take this kind of work on? Why have you been so passionate about school funding and public education, really your entire working career? Where does that come from? I think I know that my success has come from the opportunities that I had growing up. And it's the opportunities to develop a a love and a joy of learning, to explore my curiosity. I had teachers who let me study what I was interested in and and parents who supported me in that. Um, Opportunities to play sports, to engage in the cultural arts, music. And all of that enriched my life. And as I traveled the state and I saw the impacts of Tabor and I saw what we're not doing to support our kids. And you're absolutely right. The Cortez School is a perfect example. They have a culinary program now. They have an emergency medical training program for the kids in that school. My daughter got her emergency medical training, and we paid for it privately. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this should be offered in the high school. Mm -hmm. What a great opportunity for kids to have an employable skill when they graduate from high school, whether it's coding or uh, emergency medical or any technical, electrical, plumbing. Mm -hmm. Those opportunities to develop an employable skill should be offered in all of our high schools, right next to our pre-college classes. I visited a high school in Bailey not long ago, and they've got 50 kids enrolled in their vocational technical training classes and a huge wait list. Right. What a shame that we have kids in this state who want to learn a, an employable skill while they're in high school, and yet they're denied that opportunity because the district can't afford to do it. Right. Every high school should give every student the ability to learn an employable skill while they're still in high school. Not all kids are going to go on to a four-year liberal arts degree, and quite frankly, we should be giving kids a broad array of opportunities so they can get both. Hi everyone, this is Casey Kilpatrick, Director of Learning Services for the Colorado Education Association, here to give you a little bit of information about some classes that are happening this summer on Copilot, CEA's online learning platform. You may have recently heard that the Department of Education is going to pass some licensure requirements around culturally and linguistically diverse education. I want you to know that Copilot has plenty of classes to help you achieve these licensure requirements. I suggest you check out Collaboration and Co-Teaching for English Language Learners, Supporting English Language Learning in Math Class, and Adapting Social Studies Curriculum to Meet the Needs of ELLs. In order to take these classes, make sure you log on to www.ceacopilot.org and get enrolled today. You know, uh, another big issue that we um, unfortunately have been just dealing with over the last few years is this issue of school safety and and school violence. Um, You know, and as a mom, my own son came home from school as a kindergartner afraid because they'd done the bad guy drill. 
Um, so as governor, what, what would be your role and what would you do to address this issue of school safety and, and gun violence that's really plaguing our public schools here, not only in Colorado, but across America? And Amy, every parent in our state has had to address this. All of our kids are going through those trainings. They are seeing on the news that a school, their school, can be a place where horrific violence occurs and how difficult it is as a mom um, to talk about and I talked about with my kids. What do you do if you hear gunfire? Um, What a horrific conversation to have with a small child. Our kids should not be afraid to go to school. Our parents should not be afraid to send their kids to school. So first and foremost is we have to have sensible gun safety laws. Um, We have got to ban the weapons of war, the military-style assault weapons that enable somebody to commit these horrific acts that kill as many people as possible in as short of time as possible. Um, We need to enact common sense laws like red flag laws that allow the authorities to remove firearms from people who are a risk to themselves or somebody else. I mentioned that I grew up with foster siblings. Um, My brothers and sisters were victims of horrific violence, and a couple of them were involved um, in the criminal justice system themselves. So I've lived this. I've known someone. I've been very close to someone who we feared was a risk, a threat. Um, to themselves or somebody else, and we had to remove their weapons. We had to get them emergency medical, mental health Mm -hmm. care, Um, and we need to make sure that all families that are in that situation, when they're worried about someone, they they have the support that they need. Um, And also, we need to make the investments in our schools so that um, the administrators and the faculty and the students there all know that the campus is safe. And that means maybe having a, a door, the front door, keyed and, and keypad so that during the day when the kids are in class, um, there's somebody there at the front who can monitor who is coming and going in and out of that building. And we're seeing those safety improvements being made in schools that have the grants through the BEST program. But we need every school to have that investment. You know, one of the things that um, has sort of been put on the back burner for a while, um, now that we've really, in my opinion, overemphasized testing, is social-emotional learning. Uh, We used to do a lot more in our schools to um, really educate kids around, you know, being a member of a community and working with others and caring for others, problem-solving. And so much... um, you hear that that's not happening as much as it should in our schools. And it it's one thing that absolutely needs to be addressed is that we return to a time where we're helping support kids with the skills they need to be resilient. And really, it's about resilience. If, if kids understand how to approach a problem, um, I, th- I think we're all better off in the long run when that happens. But unfortunately, uh, you know, we have over-focused on testing quite a bit. And in one of those areas, it's attaching um, student test scores to uh, educator evaluations, whether it's a principal or a classroom teacher. Um, you know, student performance and achievement, incredibly important. We're 
strong supporters of measuring that data. But going back to our earlier conversation around the educator shortage, it's really tough when, when teachers know that they're being evaluated on a test that wasn't designed to measure their performance. A test that a child's taking, especially when you consider, you know, not all kids do great on a given day on a test. But, you know, if they took it the day before or the day after, they might have excelled and achieved. Especially if it meant the day before they had a full belly and the day of the test they didn't because their family didn't have access to food or didn't have a place to sleep the night before. Those are the realities, as you know, because you've gone all across the state and seen it of families and students that come into our schools and our buses and our classrooms and that's what that's what educators are dealing with and helping students with and you know sometimes that getting the perfect four on the test really isn't the, the, priority. the priority it's about making that student feel safe and and warm and fed and dry um, just throughout those eight hours of the day that they're there in school so I I agree uh, I think we're focused too much on high-stakes testing in this state, and it's raising real concerns for parents. Um, I see kids across this state who are so stressed out about all the tests. Uh, they've got stomach aches. They don't want to go to school. We are narrowing curriculums so that kids do better on tests, and I have heard um, from a couple parents and teachers in different locations around the state that, for example, the English curriculum now doesn't include reading novels because the children are being assigned reading passages with five comprehension questions. They have to do 10 of those a week and there isn't time left to read a novel. Mm -hmm. And I know as a parent, some of my favorite parenting moments were when we read a novel together as a family and we talked about it at dinner. So I don't think it's appropriate to evaluate teachers' performance um, based on their student test scores. As you said, Amy, there is a lot more going on in a kid's life. And quite frankly, a child growing up in a family that has their parents helping them with their homework at night, that has great nutrition, that's getting exercise, they're going to... Uh, have more academic progress over the course of a year than a child who's really struggling, who's going home, maybe has to work after school, has a lot of stress in the home, they're worried about their parents, maybe isn't able to participate in sports because their family can't afford to pay the thousands of dollars to have their kid on a team. Um, they're not going to make as much academic progress, and the data is bearing this out. We know that if you base teachers' performance uh, on their kids' test scores, that teachers that do great one year uh, don't do great consistently. Why is that? Well, it's because they got a different group of kids. <laughs> you get a group of kids that have a lot of support, and you're going to see a lot of academic growth. Yeah. So this isn't right. We need to, to change this. And, and Carrie, I want to address your, your question about um, children's development. And we do need our schools to be able to address children as whole beings. It is not just about, education has to be about more than just performance on a test. And kids come to school with very unique learning styles, very unique 
learning needs and we need our teachers to have the support and the resources to understand exactly where their kids are and what's going on in their lives and to support their social emotional development all kids go through a period of time where they struggle I know I did when my parents were going through their divorce my grades dropped and I had teachers and a principal who knew what was going on it was a small enough environment there were enough resources there that they could really support me through that rather than have me come to believe that you know I just wasn't good at math or I just wasn't able to compete or keep up with the other kids in the class we have to make sure our schools are a place where the community is really wrapped around the child and supports and understands their broad emotional needs Thank you. That is, um, I think, something that all of our members and parents across Colorado want to hear from and it's their what next teachers governor. Are, and it's what teachers are, are doing every single day. They're just doing it in an environment where they don't have the financial support. They aren't given the resources. They don't have the backup uh, to be able to do what they know they need, that we all need to be doing to support kids in this state. It is going to require a commitment and an investment from all of us here in Colorado to support our kids with the kind of education that we know they deserve. Absolutely. You know, um, and at Education is just kind of one of the complex pieces of the pie that a that a governor um, faces and deals with as as the the leader of the state. So, considering how much there's going on with education, and then when you add in all other issues, you know that uh, the state is facing. Why are you doing this? Why why are you running to be? the first woman governor of Colorado. What's motivating you? Well, Amy, 142 years is long enough to wait. Most people are pretty surprised that Colorado hasn't had a woman governor. We're such a forward-looking, progressive state. Um, So it would be a a true honor, and I love being able to inspire young women and young girls to see themselves as leaders. It doesn't mean you have to run for office, but being a leader in your school, being a leader in your family, um, in your workplace. Uh, But there are broad issues here in Colorado. We're so proud of this state. we are proud of our, our progress. We're one of the top-ranked economies in the country. Um, it's been a privilege for me to be a part of the leadership team that has helped lay the foundation for this success. Uh, and I think all of us are quite frustrated that we see this great economic success, and yet our, our investment in education doesn't match it. So that's my number one priority for this state going forward. Um, but we need to keep health care accessible and affordable for, for everyone here in yeah, Colorado. Let, let's address health care because, you know, one of the one of the things that and Amy can speak to this with three kids and, yes. a, and a husband um, who's also an educator, the costs of health insurance for educators, um, especially when salaries are not competitive, is a real problem. But but more than just for our own uh, educators, it's about our students and their families and their access to health care. How will your plan um, help Colorado kids help educators? Colorado families. So I'm a, a big supporter of the school-based health clinics. I, I really think that that's a, a, an extremely important model so that kids can get health care um, where they are 
And it's not just physical health, but also mental health. Mm -hmm. And I hear too often of school counselors that are covering three or four schools with hundreds of kids in each school. We need to make sure that as kids come to class, um, come to school, if they need health care, if they need to talk to a counselor, that those services are available right there on site. But we also just need to keep our health insurance costs down. And too many families in this state have seen double-digit increases in their health insurance premiums um, for several years. And quite frankly, it's just out of reach. It's too expensive for a lot of Colorado families. I hear families that are spending over $2,000 a month on their premiums, in some cases even $3,000 a month. They just can't afford it. It is why I have called on Colorado to open up our public health insurance plans to anyone who wants to purchase them. We should offer a public option in the marketplace and give families another option. And quite frankly, we can offer our public insurance plans, either our Medicaid Uh, insurance plan or either of the plans that we offer our state employees, we can offer those plans for less than what's currently being offered in the private market in many counties in this state. And I imagine in opening that up, that would also help drive down um, the other carriers' premiums. Is that correct? Or do you think just in terms of competition? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why you do it is you continue to grow Uh, your pool, you have leverage and negotiating power with providers across the state to help control costs. That's wonderful. And I know that it would benefit um, so many Colorado families. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Carrie, I've just been so impressed with all of your um, ideas and plans and, and the things you're going to do to as governor to move Colorado forward. So I would encourage people to visit your website, carriekennedyforgovernor.com. CarrieKennedyForGovernor.com, <laughs> 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 all spelled out. And, you know, Amy, the point or the issue we haven't talked about is growth. It's another really important issue to families in this state, uh, really regardless of where you are, even, even in some of our mountain communities. As our state's population continues to grow, we see dramatic impacts on uh, land use, on water on air quality. We need to make sure that we protect this beautiful state and we protect what we love here. We should have the cleanest air in the country. This is Colorado. Uh, We should have the cleanest water in the country. We are a headwater state to 40 million people. We need to protect our open space and our public lands. We're not going to sell our public lands here in Colorado off for development. And we need to make the investments in infrastructure and transit and transportation, mobility, so that we're not all sitting in traffic. We can continue, and affordable housing, so that families can continue to remain in the communities in which they've lived and, and where they work. This is Casey with Copilot again, wanting to give you another update about some classes that are starting in June and July so that way you can get the professional development you need this summer. In June, we have a wide variety of classes that range from content around culturally and linguistically diverse education to special ed to a variety of book studies that focus on teacher leadership. I strongly suggest you check out Understanding Accommodations and Modifications, great for any teacher who's working with a special education teacher or you have special ed students in your classroom and you want to be able to support them better. You should also check out the Colorado Assessment Literacy Program that starts on June 18th. A great class that really helps you understand the difference between summative and formative assessments and how to successfully implement both of them in your classroom. 
In July, we have a class that is How to Be Heard, which is a book study all around raising your voice from a political advocacy standpoint. With the primaries and general elections coming up, it's important that all of our members understand how to be a political advocate, so I strongly recommend all of you get in and take that class. If you have any other questions, please visit www.ceacopilot.org. Look at our FAQ page and feel free to email the support. Two quick questions. Um, first question, what sets you and your education platform apart from the rest of the um, field? My education platform has always been focused on giving educators the support and resources that they need. I believe they know best what their kids need. And if we empower them and give them that support and give them those resources so that they can meet the needs of each and every one of their students, I think that is very tough if somebody has 150 kids a week and doesn't have the ability to have a tutor come in or a paraprofessional come in or a counselor come in. You can't possibly address the needs of your kids. So that is the cornerstone of my uh, my platform around education. It starts with raising teacher pay so that we can make sure that uh, we're attracting a pipeline of talent into the profession. And I want to get away from blaming teachers for uh, right now uh, kids' test scores. I want to get away from from really having our education system focus too much on high stakes testing. And I wanna give our teachers and educators the support and resources. Of course we need to have high standards for all kids and of course we need to measure their progress. I think every teacher agrees with that, um, but we have to give them the tools to be able to assist and support each and every one of our students learning and then we are going to accomplish, we're going to reach those milestones of raising achievement that we um, have long sought. So my second question, Carrie, how will you bring educator voice to policy decisions um, the governor's office will be uh, working on? Yeah, educators have to be the decision makers. They know best how to support student learning and how to support kids. So you'll see me as governor spending a lot of time talking to teachers and I will work through organizations like Colorado, like CEA, uh, that has 35,000 educators as its members. Um, we're going to work collaboratively. You're going to see me as a listener. You're going to see me out in different communities because I know the uh, challenges that educators face in one part of our state uh, don't necessarily reflect the challenges they're facing in another part of the state. Carrie, thank you so much for this time today. Um, we know that voters across Colorado are going to start receiving a primary ballot in their mailboxes in the the next week or so. Um, and you know, this past year we saw educators really coming together and. Um, and lifting up their voices like we've never seen before. Not only here in Colorado, we had three days of action at the Capitol where we had over 17,000 educators across Colorado come, you know, to really say, um, listen to us, listen to our experiences and what it's like to be a public school educator here in Colorado. That happened all across um, the country, and, and you were there. You, you saw that and were um, able to, to witness that and, and to actually speak to the educators that came um, to share their voices. So as people receive those ballots in the mail, um, whether they be a public school educator or a parent um, or just a, a citizen here in Colorado, um, why should they get your vote? 
Well, and I'm so proud that the teachers are raising their voices. I started my career uh, addressing a rally of teachers nearly 20 years ago who came to the Capitol, and we put Amendment 23 on the ballot. And uh, I'm so proud to have been able to, to be there with the teachers as they've come forward again to say what's happening in our schools isn't right. With a leading economy in the nation, we should have much more investment in public education in our state. And as, as ballots are mailed next week, I hope that everyone who supports public education in this state will get out and talk to their friends, talk to their neighbors, email your all of your colleagues, and let them know that there is a candidate running for governor uh, who will support you and will make public education Colorado's top priority. And to help do that, to help get you through the primary and through the general and elect you as our first woman governor uh, in Colorado, one of the things our listeners can do is to go to kerrykennedyforgovernor.com and look up the events uh, near you in order to go out and talk to voters and um, encourage them to fill out their primary ballot. And again, those will be in people's mailboxes June 10th. There's lots of canvassing and walking and calling to do between now and then. But, uh, you know, as I've gone out and talked to voters and knocked doors for you, uh, one of the things that strikes me is that um, people are so receptive to your message. Um, they want a candidate who is sincere, um, who, who is going to stand up and do what's right for the people of Colorado. And in our minds and in so many uh, voters' minds, that is you. Yeah, and I really encourage people to volunteer on this campaign. Um, this election is going to be one at at, on the doorstep of people's homes. And if you have can take a couple hours out of your day and join a canvas and go knock on some doors and talk to people about what's at stake here in Colorado, about how we need leadership to build a public education system in the state that matches our state's great progress, um, please go out and, and, and go on our website. You can find information about how to get engaged. But definitely step up and volunteer. This is all hands on deck to win this election, and I need your help. And it's, you know, one of the things that's just been so inspiring to me about your campaign is it really is of the people for the people. Um, you have everyday Coloradans working on your campaign. It's everyday Coloradans like Carrie and I and lots of our friends and colleagues who are contributing financially to your campaign, not big out-of-state billionaire, billionaires or millionaires. And so, um, to me, just, you know, that really emphasizes that you are for the people of Colorado. You are here to be the leader of Colorado because you believe in Colorado and its citizens. So I hope that, uh, like Carrie Dahlman and I, uh, you know, many people will get out there and, and do that work to, to get you through the primary and then on to the general and through the general because we as Coloradans deserve a leader who believes in us as Coloradans. So thank you for that. Well, thank you both so much for your support. Let's go win this. Let's go win this. Thank you once again for having us at your home. It's very lovely to sit in your shaded garden. Um, we really appreciate the fact that you've worked so closely um, on behalf of our students and educators. And thank you once again for being on our podcast. The, folks, listeners, this is my last podcast. I'm so happy that Amy Baca-Olert will be CEA's 
next president starting in July. It's been such an honor and a pleasure to serve with um, Amy Baca Olert, and I wish her the very best. So join me Saturday, June 9th, as we go out and talk to Colorado voters about Carrie Kennedy for governor. Well, and Carrie Dahlman, thank you for your tireless efforts for students in public education. You know, you always make me cry. So that would be fitting on our last podcast together for that. But honestly, you are a true warrior champion for um, public education, and we are all better because of your service as the president of the Colorado Education Association. So thank you and all the best to you as you head back into the classroom to do what you love best, being a social studies teacher. Thank you so much. Well, that's all, folks. Until next time.